Mesdames et Messieurs, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles Daniel MacDonald on World Radio Paris and Monaco. Brought to you in association with Force Magazine. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio France, brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Stanley MacDonald and I'll be hosting the show exclusively for the WRP Network. Coming up in today's show, I'll be critiquing the highlights from the most recent international ready-to-wear fashion weeks from New York, London, Milan and Paris for their autumn-winter 22-23 collections. Matthew M. Williams' first men's show for Givenchy Spring-Summer 2023. Williams recently joined Givenchy as the creative director during the pandemic and had to spend the first seasons at the house delivering presentations to a digital audience. When he finally got to put out on his first show last year, mixing menswear with womenswear, he came at the live format with the dimensions of a stadium concert. The season marked his first standalone men's show, Testament, no doubt, to the fact that urban wardrobe he believes in at Givenchy is resonating with a male audience, but also due to the fact that clothes like these, elevated workwear from denim trousers to leather jackets and hoodies, represent an essential contemporary wardrobe which is coveted by all genders. It's a dialogue with the time and the culture that shape the way dress today and tomorrow the way new generations embrace and evolve the archetypes and the dress codes of the past, through their own progressive look, William said. It's a thrilling evolution and the reason why I have chosen this moment to stage a standalone men's show for Givenchy. The collection itself identified the clothes we wear the most, real everyday staples, like blouses, gilets, cargo trousers, hoodies and t-shirts, but interpreted through the Parisian craftsmanship of the Devanchy's expert ateliers. He styled it with the accessories that his trademark Givenchy look, iterations all on the knitted TK360 trainers, his big backpacks and an angular new sunglass design called The Cut. The show opened with a series of leather jackets over embroidered with motifs that included a replica of a tarot card Williams carries on his leg. Amongst his most painstaking artisanal expressions were a jacket and a pair of shorts, patchwork from upcycled scraps from the Givenchy weather factories, which had been laminated for a rigid and super luxe look. Shell jackets that looked like nylon were actually constructed from lightweight leather, while the camouflage of the highly textured pieces that closed the show was created from logo jacquard overlaid with laser-cut muslin, which had been meticulously destroyed by the way of sanding for hours by hand. If the show took place on the grounds of the École Militaire, this is where Williams had erected a large, white futuristic box, and it was surrounded by a moat of milky water, with fog hovering over the air. He devoted his soundtrack to Alkaline, the Jamaican-born dancehall and reggae artist whose signature black contact lenses and rugged industrial dress sense caught Williams' attention. As illustrated on Instagram, where the posts from the show attracted endless likes and comments from alkaline young but very die-hard fanbase, this presence bore Williams' talent for snapping up artists who were about to get seriously big 
and then welcoming them into the arms of the Givenchy family. Menswear was, quite naturally, the way I discovered fashion. In my practice at Givenchy, my men's collections continued to be founded in an instinctive point of departure. The show is a reflection of myself and the men who surround me, from my close friends to the artists who inspire my work, he said. When he came out for his bow dressed in black cargo trousers, a black t-shirt and his chunky trainers, you could really see his personal approach. At Givenchy, Williams is creating a man's wardrobe he believes in because it's exactly the type of fashion he has spent his life shopping for himself. A Tallahassee-based marching band parade and a performance by Hendrik Lamar set the tone for an imaginative Louis Vuitton show created by the men's studio in the spirit of Virgil Abloh. Here's everything you need to know about the Rainbow Spring-Summer 2023 presentation. A magnificent kids' racetrack swirled around the Carrier de Louvre for a Louis Vuitton Spring-Summer 2023 show. This is one that felt like no other. Painted like the yellow brick road, it was a homage to the theme of Virgil Abloh's Wizard of Oz-inspired first collection for the house back in June 2018. Since his death in November last year, the design team and creative collaborators, who were in daily contact with him through eight seasons, have been trying to come to terms with the loss of a genius, who wasn't just their boss, but also his friend. Abloh was a master at putting people together and creating dynamics, and he loved his team. We know this because of the many, many references towards his work ethic when he joined Louis Vuitton, experiencing making the show and his companionship and interactions with others. Ultimately, the creative process of his studio design collection became a kind of therapy for everyone involved, a collective cathartic exercise that felt like healing. Contrary to January's collection, which was almost finished when Abloh died, this season was entirely designed by the LV Men's Studio. Some of them were already there when he arrived, others were hired by him, but they all shared the same massive influence that Abloh had on every creative around him, aesthetically as well as philosophically. That's why this collection was entirely in his spirit, an exploration of imaginative, childlike and culturally significant codes he instilled at LV, and a demonstration of the creatorship, craftsmanship and showmanship that were already a major part of the house's genetics before his arrival, which inspired him so much. Much of Abloh's practice was about claiming those ideas for groups of society who hadn't historically felt included in high fashion. Everything about this show demonstrated his success in doing so, how he inspired the people around him to do the same, changed the industry forever and opened doors for future generations. The show opened with a cinematic prelude by the American director Ephraim Asili, which explored the idea of turning imagination into reality through music. Gradually, a symmetry came to life on the yellow racetrack runway. Dancing flag bearers heralded the Marching 100, the Tallahassee-based marching band who put on a hugely uplifting parade that subdued into a live set by Kendrick Lamar, who performed from his seat. Long live Virgil, he said over and over again, but this never became a mournful show, rather a collection, 
as it was called, and a celebration of the proverbial graffiti Ablo has left on the walls of LV for infinity. Next, on to the racetrack, and the house had erected massive bleachers and invited students from schools in Paris to watch a show. At the end of models, carried a mile-long runway flag consisting of rainbow colours as a reference to the catwalk of Abloh's first LV show. Expressed in a silhouette that played with a childlike idea of growing into and outgrowing clothes, with nods to the dress codes of the 90s stater community, the collection was a powerful demonstration of craftsmanship at the heart of LV. Ingenious creations included two speaker men looks made up of real loudspeakers that connected wirelessly to the show's sound system. A monogram briefcase carved entirely in marble and lit up from within, and a formal suit ornamented with paper planes in origami leather as a nod to one of Ablo's favourite childhood symbols. The multi-pocking Accessomorphosis, that's now a part of the LV genetics, appeared in supersized primary colours, on shielding coats, impressionist floral fields, and these were evoked in garments through jacquards, prints and embroidery. References to Play-Doh and kids' building blocks appeared throughout the show, in bags and also as embellishments on accessories and a blow-up sneaker called The Boyhood. Over the past months, rumours have been swirling as to who might follow in Abloh's footsteps over the next men's artistic director of Louis Vuitton. The focus on the name designs is inevitable in fashion, but as a symbol of grace period given to Abloh's memory, this show was all about paying respect to the people and those group efforts. Talents and give ideas to life of the collections we celebrate every season. And those faces and names we don't normally get to see on a runway. When the design team emerged to take their bow after the finale, it was a poignant remember of the human value behind a brand like LV. All these individuals who make up the grand mansion and the number of minds and hands and feelings it takes to create a show just like this. Dior's Spring Summer 23 menswear show was a celebration of founder Christian Dior's passion for gardening. Staged in a set inspired by his sugary pink childhood home in Granville, Normandy. Continuing his celebration of the 75th anniversary of Dior this year, Kim Jones staged a Spring Summer men's show fusing the gardens of Christian Dior in Normandy and Granville. With his own fascination with Charleston, the Sussex home of the Bloomsbury Group artist, Duncan Grant. We are mixing the utilitarian, the natural and the gardening elements with the stylized new look and the Duncan Grant artworks. This is an idea of the casual and the formal all at once. And there is an idea of the passage of time, the changing of weather and the light of the seasons as well, as continually, artistically representing the community and the legacy of Christian Dior, he said. 
The show unfolded with a garden set populated with bright green grass and flowers against a backdrop resembling Christiane Dior's pastel-pink childhood home. Granville and Mr Dior's garden impact the entire collection, Jones explained. There was an idea of a private, countryside life, lived casually in more utilitarian clothes, focusing on gardening, walking and fishing, and contrasted at the same time with the more elegant and formal Dior codes. Those codes were present throughout silhouettes founded in the slightly technical, slightly sporty and very outdoor clothes that felt innately Kim Jones. Jones married camouflage performance wear, backpacks and wellies, with romantic oversized and sported tailoring that was virtually picnic appropriate. You all might want to keep its delicate fabrication off the grass. Handsome bar jackets, Dior's Holy Grail, in sheer silk organza, looked as if veiled of their own construction and filters of dusky greys and pretty pastels that evoked the colours of Granville. They were paired with shorts, either tailored or tight and sporty, layered with short shorts and then some more. Styled with garments printed or woven in the motifs of Duncan Grant's paintings, it made for a very sweet and light-hearted expression. Often, the collection felt very English, and it was a testament to Joan's affection for Grant and the Bloomsbury group. I first went to Charleston when I was 14 years old, and it had a major impact on me. It just struck me how modern they all were, each of those individuals in Bloomsbury who were attached to the Charleston. It was primarily how they lived and how they worked in one place and how intense their connection was, resulting in the varying aesthetics of different mediums that were produced because of it. On the accessories front, the show made a strong proposition for hats of the gardening type. Of course, worn over, or perhaps fused with, caps whose visors poked out underneath the brim. Trekking and hiking books lack his sandals joined Jones Wellies as contestants for the new summer issues, while bum bags and sporty sunglasses cemented the outdoorsy look. It's all about femininity and a sexuality that's both rough and elegant at the same time. Pieter Mullier mentioned regarding Alia's intimacy-driven spring-summer 2023 show and how he's modernising the label for a brand new generation. It's all about intimacy, and for his third show since taking helm as a creative director, Pieter Mollier opened the doors to see what will become of Maison's new flagship store on Rue du Fabourg Saint-Honoré, and created a series of narrow runways that had guests up close and personal with his looks. Let's put our phones down, he wrote in his usual self-penned letter, placed on every seat, and while no one did, the sentiment was fully on the brand. So was the collection that unfolded a tactile, body-conscious and consistently sensual demonstration of the cause of Azadeh seen through the present-day kaleidoscope of Molière? It's all about taking the codes of Azadeh and bringing them into a brand new generation. It's about femininity and a sexuality that's both rough and elegant at the same time. Miller said after a show defined by its tactile base layers tight, soft, translucent cashmere bodysuits that created a foundation for almost everything else fashioned in his looks. Sometimes clothes can be very restrictive, but these are literally like bodysuits. I told the knitwear team, I want something bodycom that's not viscose, 
but it's highly stretchy and comfortable. The impact felt astutely relevant in a fashion world that's increasingly interested in the shapewear that's always been a natural part of Alaya's expression. This was, of course, the superior answer to recent interpretations. It's all about purity and silhouettes that are so simple, Molière said. That's why I opened with four silhouettes that were so simple, but they're so sexy, but they're covered three times. It's the three layers. She has a body, an underbody and a skirt. This idea permeated the collection even when volumes magnificent in huge cocoonish overcoats, poncho-like headscarves and biker jackets and cocktail dresses, hybrids also that brought a certain 80s sensibility to proceedings. It reached a climax when Linda Spearlings, an Alaya legend, walked the show to spontaneous applause and followed a cast that included Maria Carla Boscono and Doudson Croyes with a pair. When it came to weather tied to Alaya, Molly expressed himself through draping, inspired by the founder's first show. I'm obsessed with the first show of 1984, and not many people know about it. It was basically draping viscose. He invented a thread in Italy and draped it with leather. Many of these skirts came from him, and it's a perfect drape. I always wanted to drape, but I never draped in my previous jobs. I don't want to say goddess because I don't like the word, but it's really very much about empowerment. In the shoe department, Molly introduced a heel sculpted in the shape of a woman's legs, which had audiences peeled. It's a black vintage shoe from Azadine. In 1992, he did 12 pairs with the same heel. It's actually quite famous. It's a black lacquered with a red show, and it was never shown. It was for backstage, but there are photos on Stephanie Seymour. We took it and made it into a heel for now. The heel played with the Yeti boot tags adorned with a big metal ring, which also appeared on the sleeves of the coats. It made me think of an astronaut when we developed it, but it didn't come out like that, he said, smiling. Riding out, way out, to the Agafé Desert, one hour outside Marrakesh, a van full of English and American editors were gobsmacked by the sight of two camels, as still as statues, silhouetted perfectly on the crest of a rocky dune. An hour later, seated around a circular pool for Saint Laurent's Spring 23 show, they were mesmerised again, drinking in Bacharalo's sensual, tuxedo-inspired silhouettes rippled by a brisk evening wind. Here was a destination show laden with history, given how much Morocco revved and shaped the aesthetic fashion of Yves Saint Laurent, who fell in love with the place from his very first visit back in 66 with partner Pierre Berger. Earlier in the day, editors filled through the Dar del Ranch, the riad they brought on a whim, and snapped photos of the snake and the legendary designer painted in the dining room. If only walls could talk, a tour guide sniggered. 
Yet Vacherello has sidestepped cliches around the mythology of Marrakesh and Yves Saint Laurent, preferring to elaborate on his terrific Fall 22 women's collection, plopping similar smokings and shoulders coats on men's with an elegant effect. That much of the collection was black and that was a no-brainer. Black for me is the best way to see a silhouette, especially in the desert. You can see it clearly, almost like a sketch, he said before the show. As shows go, Saint Laurent's is very dreamlike, with silvery boxes erected on a marsh-like stretch of barren hills that were tinted orange by the sunset. It was Dominique Figuet's first time in Morocco. Check it out, it's a lake, he said, pointing to the water glinting in the last flicks of daylight. It's beautiful with the camels and things, and it's exactly how I imagined. We are in Africa. Lucas Sabat disregarded the memo advising comfortable footwear for desert conditions, arriving at his seat atop towering platform boots, which he quickly tossed for cork-soled sandals. I didn't give up, I'm just taking a break from them. I'm doing a photo diary right now for Interview Mag, so I don't need to run around, he said. And the likes of Anja Rubik and Milena Smith struck poses before the show. Fog machines fired up, sending hazes drifting across the set as models whisked across the man-made well. One noticed the strong shoulder line of Vacherero's fine tailoring and the trousers tight on the hips, then widening out and flapping in the wind. Everything looked luxurious and compelling, executed in fine satins, velvets and greens as Yves Salon had a fabric and a buttery leather. Just before the finale, a circle of right appeared in the pond and a hulking writing wing slowly enraged and propped itself up vertically like some portal into another dimension. The wonder reached another crescendo. Backstage, Bacciarello didn't read too much into this design effort rather than to wish a show more fluid with a rounder take on the Saint Laurent menswear. A fur coat in the desert, he said. It's not about huffing a coat, but it's appearing about chic, whether you're in Morocco or Paris. And finally, why re-editions are the new vintage? There is a new vintage, and I'm not referring to those who make replicas of old garments from other periods, to propose them as if they were brand new. There is also an authentic new vintage, with re-editions of clothes produced by the same houses that created them many years before, or that anyway are copies of archive items. This new proposal of garments, shoes, handbags, and more in the exact printing or colours as they were once, come with a readjustment of silhouettes and sizes, and this is called generic vintage, but the more appropriate name for it is actually re-edition. Following flea markets and vintage stores specialising in various eras, re-edition time has now started. This trend has been in the air for some time, and for years renowned Parisian store, Didier Lodo, a treasure trove for second-hand clothes, with labels such as Dior, Chanel, Saint Laurent, Givenchy or Pucci, has been producing re-editions of outfits, especially in black, by various designers, creating a book called La Petite Robe Noire that was distributed in many stores worldwide. Balenciaga, when Nicolas Gasquieri was appointed creative director of the Maison, started producing a series of re-editions of classic Cristobal Balenciaga staples. 
and also Prada started a series of dresses, coats and accessories from past seasons, giving the opportunity to get a hold of outfits we might have missed. Ferragamo was successfully relaunching shoes and handbags created by Salvatore Ferragamo for Carmen Miranda and other stars, besides wicker and plexiglass bags, showing their great skills in creating not only shapes, heels and wedges, but also in the use of unexpected materials for that time. Also, Pucci repurposes its original style, creating a small collection of garments designed by the Marquis Emilio Pucci in original colours and prints. Gucci has also proposed true re-editions like the Jackie O bag with bamboo handles, besides relaunching bags with floral prints that featured in her foulards in the 1960s. Cardin, speaking of this trend, has been the first to reproduce clothes from the 60s that are incredibly trendy now for their colours and cuts. Diane von Fustenberg launched a true vintage collection that features her famous wrap dress paired to bags and foulards. Their prints and colours are countless for a dress that made her famous in the 70s and today is still worn and coveted by young girls that have never seen them before but also by those who used to buy them at the time, finding them sexy and very comfortable. Therefore, also vintage clothes from top and established brands have evolved and adjusted to today's sizes look extremely modern and quite different from the collection we see on runways. Vintage has been enjoying a comeback for years and a well-deserved reputation for those who wish to experiment with their individual style outside classic shopping standards. Such re-editions are also an opportunity to search through designers' archives and find clothes or accessories that are seen in old photos. They are realised almost always in limited edition, which as for a true vintage, guarantees a certain degree of exclusivity. And in our time, when everything is often so repetitive, that says a lot. I hope you can join me for the next Fashion Mode show where I'll be taking a look at the Couture Collections for Autumn-Winter 22-23. With more details and features to follow, you can catch up with all the fashion news on forcmagazine.com and at Force Magazine on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also keep up to date with the latest shows directly from Mixcloud, Podbean and our official iTunes, Spotify, Google Play and Deezer under Force magazine. Until the next time, keep your fashion mode on.